I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've written something on the board that's very important. We're in this coronavirus pandemic across the world, and I have been teaching on this for about 10 weeks. The coronavirus is a curse from God because of all the hypocrisy in the pulpits of America. The Baptists, the Pentecostals, the Church of Christ, the Roman Catholics, the Episcopalians, all of these people are not telling the truth. I don't hear any preachers telling, trying to tell the whole truth of God. We've already covered this, but in Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy is right before Israel entered into the promised land. They'd gone through 40 years in the wilderness. They're just about to enter into the promised land. They, if this is Israel here, right here, here's the Mediterranean Sea. Here is Egypt down here. There's the Nile River going down. And over here is the Sinai Peninsula and they they come over here and they cross the Red Sea and they come into the Sinai Peninsula they come up here and they encamp at Kadesh Barnea and and God tells them to go in and spy out this land of Anak we call that the Anakims A-N-A-K-I-M-S they were giants and Israel murmured against God. God says, I'm going to make you march through the wilderness for 40 years. A year for every day you spied out the land. You spied it out for 40 days. And I'm going to make you wander through the wilderness till I kill off everybody from 20 years old and upward. Because that was military age in Israel. And he said, I'm going to kill off everybody. And he did just that. So when you get to Deuteronomy... This is right before they cross the Jordan River. If right in northern Israel, right on the, uh, right on the, uh, in the Sea of Galilee, is in northern Israel on the eastern border of Israel, and the Jordan River comes out of the Sea of Galilee and empties into the Dead Sea. Well. They're about to enter from the land of Moab, and right north of that is the land of Ammon, and they come up here, and they're just about to cross the river in the book of Deuteronomy, and God has killed off everybody that was of military age that refused to go in and conquer the Anakims. They said they're too big. So the God says... He's given them instructions before they go into the land in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is different than Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Plus Deuteronomy, that makes up the Pentateuch or the Torah, that the Jews called it, the first five books of the Bible. The reason Deuteronomy is different, God has killed off all unbelief. When you get to Deuteronomy, they're in the land of Moab waiting to cross the river and possess the land that was given to Abraham hundreds of years before. And these are the things he says. When you go into the land, and he says in verse 15 of Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, 
But it shall come to pass, if you will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and do all his commandments and his statutes, which I commanded this day. All the statutes and commandments have to be according, according to the word of God. And if preachers are not preaching the truth and they're twisting God's word, how in the world are you going to be obedient to God's word? You can't. And the preachers are not telling the truth around America. The Pentecostals and Charismatic are talking about tongues, and that's not true. They're talking about faith healing, and that's not true. They're talking about slain in the Spirit. That's not true. The Spirit quickens. It does not kill. I preached on all of this. Two words for tongue in the Greek. Gloss and dialectos. Glossa means foreign language. Dialectos means a dialect of the common street Greek language. And there was a different dialect in every city-state. Then he says, if you're not obedient, and how can you be obedient when all these preachers are lying? People say, you shouldn't be that hard and call preachers liars. What do you call a man that doesn't tell the truth? We call him a liar. And that's what they're doing. The accept Christ gospel, the sinner's prayer for salvation, not true. Will you accept Christ after you're born again? But you have to be birthed by the will of God. And that goes into predestination. And they don't believe that. Then he says, here's what he says. If you won't keep my commandments, all these curses shall come upon thee. You'll be cursed in the city. There'll be sickness of every kind. You'll be, you'll be cursed in your field. Your crops won't grow right. There'll be famine. There'll be pestilence of all kinds. There'll be, there'll be locusts that'll come and defy your crops. Or God says, I'll send too much rain. I'll send no rain. Cursed shall be thy basket when you go out to gather it, and there won't be much in it. The fruit of your body will be cursed. Your children will be born sick, or they'll be stillborn, dead. The fruit of your land, the increase of your kind, the flocks of your sheep will be cursed. They'll have something called murain, M-U-R-A-I-N. That was a sickness that killed all these people in Egypt there'll be a curse be upon cursed shalt thou be when you come in and when you go out and the Lord shall send the cursing vexation and rebuke the Lord will send it God's going to send the curse and all that thou settest thine hand to do you'll be destroyed talking to Israel and thou shalt perish quickly because of the wickedness of thy doings whereby thou hast forsaken me the Lord shall make the Lord shall make the Lord shall make pestilence disease coronavirus cleave unto thee 
until he hath consumed thee from off the land, America, world, whether thou goest to possess it. The Lord shall smite thee with consumption. Consumption is any number of diseases. It's anything similar to, to polio or anything similar to lung disease or pneumonia or tuberculosis. And with a fever, fever accompanies all kinds of diseases. And inflammation, inflammation, this is the curse that will come on the world when the preachers do not tell the truth about the Word of God. With extreme burning and with the sword, with blasting, all kinds of winds coming and drying your crops up, no rain. And with mildew, that's too much rain. And they shall pursue thee until you perish, Israel. And, they, and thy heaven that is over thee, over thy head shall be brass, there will be no rain. And the earth that is under thee shall be iron. In a severe drought, after heavy rains and then a drought comes, I've been out there in West Texas, my grandfather's farm. There would be ruts a foot deep after a real bad rain, and it would drive so hard it would be like iron. The Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust. From heaven shall it come down upon thee until you are destroyed, America, Israel. The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies, and thou shalt go out one way against them, and you'll flee seven ways. And you shall be removed unto all the kingdoms of the earth. And that last statement is about the Syrians coming in and carrying northern Israel away, and the Babylonians coming in and carrying southern Judah away, which is southern Israel. That's the curses. Because men have changed the word of God. What they've done is added. Is added. Look over here. Can you read the next verse, 26? Yeah, okay. Read what? 28, 26, Deuteronomy. 27. The Lord will smite thee. 26. And the, thy carcass shall be meat unto the fowls of the air and unto the beast of the earth. And no man shall fray them away or push them away. The Lord will smite thee with the botch of Egypt. With the sekrin means burning, inflammation. And with the emeralds, that's what they got when, when that's what the Philistines got when they took to capture the Ark of the Covenant and it killed them. With the scab, with the itch, where thou canst not be healed. And God will smite thee with madness and blindness, blindness and astonishment of heart. All right, now look here at Deuteronomy 6. And it's all because of this. The preachers have changed everything. They've changed the method of salvation. 
They say the method of salvation is a sinner's prayer. That's not true. I'm going to quote it again. I quote it nearly every message. It's the Baptist method of salvation preached by Billy Graham, and he lied to the American public. He lied to everybody. He preached the sinner's prayer, come down here, walk down the aisle, and pray this prayer, and Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You can't pray a prayer to God until you believe in him. How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? That comes right after he says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you can't call on to God till you believe in him. And once you believe in him, that'll be because God puts faith or belief in your heart. You can't conjure that up. There's none good, not one none seeks after God. And they preach that you can just start praying this prayer They'll just tell any old slug sinner that and people will be willing to pray the prayer. Now I get to go to heaven and I can live the way I want. No, you can't. And they preach accept Christ. The Bible says there is no accept Christ when you're dead in sin. The dead man, the natural man does not receive accept, decomai, accept an offer that's been given. Dead men can't accept spiritual things, but you will accept the things of Christ after he births you by his will. Now, look here in Deuteronomy 6. Now, excuse me. Deuteronomy 4. Verse 2. You shall not add unto the word of God. That's what they're doing. They're adding accept Christ, sinner's prayer. They're adding tongues. They're adding Faith healing, and it's not in the Bible. Oh, healing is in the Bible. Jesus healed to prove who he was, not because somebody commanded him to. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments. Here's how you keep the commandments. Don't add or take away from the word of God. that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. So the way you keep his word is you don't add or take away. And over here in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 12, these are two of my favorite verses that go against these preachers. If you're preaching accept Christ, you're preaching a lie for salvation. You will accept Christ after you believe, but you can't believe unless God puts it in your heart to. Now, Deuteronomy 12, verse 30. Take heed to thyself. Now, this is in Deuteronomy, right before they cross the, the river, and they're going to run it into all these pagans, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and they're all sun and tree worshipers. God warns them, take heed to yourself that you be not snared by, the, by following these sun and tree worshipers. After that, they be destroyed from before thee. Now, you're supposed to destroy them when you go in, but they didn't. They intermarried with them. And thou inquire not after their gods. Little g-o-d-s. Little g. Don't inquire after their gods. And this will be your question. How did these nations serve their gods? What were their rituals? What was their customs? He said, 
the Bible says in Luke the 18th, Leviticus the 18th chapter, Therefore shall ye keep mine ordinance, that you commit not any one of these abominable customs. He didn't say don't serve their gods. He said that here. But he said don't find out how they served them. And then he says, How did you serve your gods? Or even will I do likewise? Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God. For every abomination... The gods they serve, what is the God that these preachers serve? These preachers that are adding to the word of God. The reason they add and take away, I'll finish this verse in a minute. The reason they add and take away is for money. It's for a mega church. They want to build a big church. So what they do is say comfortable, easy things. They preach another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. Another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. And, God, and Paul said, I didn't preach that Jesus. Second Corinthians 11 and 4. Now, thou shalt not do unto the Lord thy God for every abomination, I started to tell you, what's the God that all these preachers are serving? Covetousness. C-O-V-E-T-O-U-S. Covetousness is idolatry. That's their God. Covetousness is idolatry. You don't have to have a statue of Mary or some pagan God to be worshiping another God the other Jesus is another God but the Bible says that other Jesus is Satan transformed into an angel of light when you worship anything but God's word by adding to his word you're worshiping Satan Satan worship is not drawing a pentagram on a floor sitting down in the middle of it killing a dead chicken letting it bleed down on it and saying some mantra and putting a candle on each corner of the pentagram you set in the middle of. That's, that's a circus. Here's the God you serve. Covetousness. Pleonectes. That's the word covetous. You say, I don't bow to a statue. Are you sure? The statue you bow to is that person in the mirror when you're involved in covetousness. Idolatry is the word porne. When Babylon was the mother of harlots, that word harlot, pornea, means idolatry. Idolatry, here's what these preachers are serving. Covetousness. Pleonectes means to want more any way you can get it by being devious, by lying to people, by convincing them that they can be holier if they send you their money. We don't ever ask for money. We take offerings for the poor. That's all. And idolatry comes from two words, E-I-D-O-L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A. That is their God right there. Ido, latruo. Latruo means to serve. Ido means to see or perceive. It means to serve what you see. That is your God if you add to the word of God.
That's who you're serving. Let me finish this verse here. That's why I preach against these guys. They've added to the word of God. And I'll read one other verse here. Then he says, Thou shalt not do so, verse 31 of chapter 12 of Deuteronomy. Thou shalt not do so. Don't keep their customs from the previous verse. Don't even find out how they did it. Do men find out how they did it by celebrating Christ's Mass? Or Ishtar, Easter, Ishtar, which was, Easter was the goddess of the East. For every abomination to the Lord which he hateth have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their gods. Is America burning their children in the fire to the gods of the pulpit? Yeah. If your mother if your mother and father go to a Baptist church and they cuss from time to time, do you think your kids are not going to smoke pot from time to time? Drink from time to time. They look at their parents and say, if that's Christianity, I don't want it. And I've found out if that's Christianity, I don't want it either. What things soever I command you, observe to do it. That's how you keep the commandments of God. Thou shalt not add nor diminish from it. Add is the word yasof. And diminishes the word garah. It means to augment anything. Don't add one thing to God's word. Tongues is adding to his word. I've gone through that over and over and over. I've got one DVD. It's got three messages on it just about tongues or four. I can't remember which it is. I think it's four messages. just, And I cover everything about it. They're adding to the word of God when they add accept Christ as a method of salvation. And what it does is it gives a lot of people a false sense of security, especially somebody that doesn't have any conviction. Just get somebody down the aisle and get them to pray this sinner's prayer and have them accept Christ when they can't, when they're dead in their sin. That's adding to the word of God. Let me tell you what the Bible says about you when you add to the word. Garan means to shave off any part of it. You can't shave off the word of God. Look here in Proverbs 30. I love these verses. Proverbs 30. They've added and added and added. I knew something was wrong listening to my own father preach when he'd give long invitation hymns. God's not inviting anyone to come into the kingdom. He is commanding his predestinated elect family to come in. He's commanding it. He's commanding us to take a cross and die daily. Those are imperative moods. That's a command. If any man will come after me, let him deny, take, and follow. Deny, contradict himself. Take up his cross, which he's condemned to, and follow. Be in the same way with, and the way is narrow. Akulatheo is the word follow. Now here in Proverbs 30, let me tell you what your preachers are when you add these things to God's word. You say, Jim, do you have everything exactly perfect? No, I'll tell you what. I only teach what I know to be true. 
I only give you a definition of what I've already looked up a hundred times. I don't look up something in a concordance one time. I don't just look it up in a concordance. I look it up in these encyclopedias. I look it up in my Greek books. I look it up in the interlinear Bible over and over and over again. I said, I wonder if I missed something on this. I define everything I can. Not in order to look good, because I want the people to know the exact defined truth. Here in, in Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. Every word is pure. You can't change it. If you change it, you've twisted and wrenched the word of God. That's what the Bible says in Second Peter, that third chapter. That when you wrench and torture the word of God, it's because you're unlearned and you don't know nothing. Am I impressed with preachers? No. I'm not impressed with doctors of theology. Theos logos is the word theology. Theos. Logos. Logos is the word word. Theos is the word God. It means a study of the word of God. Do I believe these doctors of theology know a lot? No, I don't. I've known some of them. I don't trust them. They don't define enough words for me or enough culture or customs or idioms or metaphors. He said, the word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not... Yasaf, don't embellish the word of God at all, because here's what you are if you do. Unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. People don't like that word to be used, but that's what God uses here in Proverbs. You are a liar if you add to the word of God, Kenneth Copeland, and that's what you do. T.D. Jakes, Joyce Myers. Fred Price, Creflo Dollar, and that bird brain out down there in 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 uh, New Orleans. Jesse the plant, he's got the IQ of a plant. And Osteen down in Houston. The guy's an ignoramus. But so was Charles Stanley. So was Billy Graham. Billy Graham preached so much false doctrine. Now that makes people more angry than anything else. Let me ask you one more time. One more time. Who is the most popular preacher in the world in the last 2,000 years? Can you tell me? The man that more people love than any other man that has lived since the Apostle Paul. Billy Graham. Billy Graham was like Sarah Lee. Nobody doesn't like Billy Graham except me because he didn't tell the truth. When you go after Billy Graham, people want to get rid of you. They want to call you down. Let me tell you about Billy Graham. Wasn't he the most popular, well-liked preacher in the world? Yeah. He was drawing 100,000 people in stadiums in 1952 and 53. These big charismatics don't even draw that today. The Bible says, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Woe, O 
U-A-I. That is a cry of damnation when everybody in the world likes you. The Pope loved Billy Graham. I got a picture of him shaking hands with the Pope. The Roman Catholic said he was more Roman Catholic than otherwise. He was a false teacher. He was friends with all the presidents except Harry Truman. Harry said he was a phony, and he was. It's funny that Harry could recognize that. I don't like it when men change God's words. They are liars. Now, I'm going to give you the change. I've told you this last week. Somebody write that title down for me. Huh? Okay. That'll be my title for this message. All right. I said last week, the people that the people that are most like are these preachers today are most like in history. The, the American preachers are more like are like the Pharisees. more than anything that I know of. The Pharisees, Jesus kept calling them hypocrites. A hypocrite was, a, was a, an official word in the first century. It meant an actor under an assumed character it was actually a stage actor it is it comes from the word hupo cretes hupo means under or inferior or inferior cretes is the word judge it was a judge in a court. It means an inferior judge, and it was one who wore a mask on their stage. It was a mask. It had a dual meaning. It meant an actor that put on a mask, and they put on these phony masks and say, God bless you. God loves you. How do you know that? He doesn't love everybody. He loved Jacob and hated Esau before they were born. Don't run around telling everybody, God loves you and he loves you and he loves you. All you have to do is accept Christ and pray this sinner's prayer and you're home free. No, you're not. Now, the Pharisees were actors. They were pretending. They were hypocrites. Over in Luke, the 20th chapter, I like this. Luke 20 tells you about the Pharisees acting. They come to Jesus, and they say, we know, and they're putting the, they're being phony with him, and they 
came to spy him out in verse 20 of chapter 20 of Luke. And they watched him and sent, sent forth spies which should feign themselves just men. They sent spies into Jesus while he's out healing. That word fain is hupocrino. It is a form of hupocrites. Hupocrino. Crino is a means to judge. To judge. Hupo means under or inferior. Has basically the same meaning as hypocrites. Hupocrites, an inferior judge. So this will tell you what these guys are doing. When they walk up to you and you're in one of their meetings and they put their arm on your shoulder, say, God bless you, I've got a word for you. They don't, that's a con. Make you feel good so you'll increase your offering. That's just a con. They watch him and sent for spies which should feign themselves just men. They were being hypocrites, acting like they were just. That they might take hold of Jesus' words. So that they might deliver him under the power and the authority of the governor. They wanted to deliver him over so that he could be killed. And they asked him, saying, Now these are some con men. They asked him, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly. They didn't believe any such thing. They were trying to con the living God of the universe. We know that thou teachest rightly. And neither acceptest thou the person of any. We know that you're not partial to anybody. We know that you're not... Uh, leaning just towards somebody because of their personality, but teaches the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? What they're trying to do is get him to say one thing or another. If they say you're not supposed to be loyal to Caesar, they're going to accuse him of, of treachery against the throne. Or being unfaithful to the Caesar. And if they say that they're supposed to, then they're going to accuse him of being against the people. But he perceived their craftiness. Can you perceive craftiness when somebody comes up and says something? And said unto them, Why are you tempting me? Show me a penny, a denarius. Whose image and superscription hath it? And they answered and said, Caesar's. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. And they could not take hold of his words before the people, and they marveled at his answer and shut their mouths. They were trying to catch him, and they couldn't because he was God and he was smarter than them. Now, let me tell you why these Pharisees were just like Baptist preachers today, acting. Nobody is as nice as these preachers act. They act like they got the world by the tail. 
and all that niceness that comes out of their mouth. When I see somebody that's too good to be true, I know that they're too good to be true. I know that's true. They're not as good as they're acting. If a preacher won't own up to his own sin, like I've owned up in this pulpit, I have lived in sin, the difference between me and and some of these nicey nice preachers, I've been in sin, I own up to it, and I repented of it. But you'll never hear them say they've been in any depth of sin, most of them. Now, here's the problem with the Pharisees. They added to the Word of God. When you add to the Word, you're a liar. Here's what's wrong with them. Where did the Pharisees... The Pharisees had their own doctrine. Their own doctrine was called halakha. And the way the New Testament puts that, it's the word tradition. When Jesus said, he told the Pharisees, he said, you make the word of God of none effect by your traditions. Every time you find the word tradition in the New Testament, it has an exact meaning. The word is paradosis. Let me shove this aside here. I don't know how to tell you all of this at once. I can't. Tradition is the word paradosis. P-A-R-A-D-O-S-I-S. Let me see if I can really explain this to you. When you look at it in a concordance, it will say the traditionary law of Moses. And that will confuse any new student that starts looking at a concordance. It's very confusing because traditionary law of Moses looks like something righteous and it's not it is unrighteous because a tradition you have to understand a tradition a tradition is something word of mouth Now, word of mouth means something that was said, said by the Pharisees. What they did is they rehashed the law of Moses, made it their tradition, and they said that this word that God gave to Moses, it was nothing but a tradition, it was just a word. And they said that Moses was given this halakha or this tradition, this paradosis, when he was on the mountain. When Moses was on the mountain, the Pharisees said that he got this traditionary law. It was a verbal law. And they said this verbal law had to be passed from one 
rabbi to the other, particularly the head rabbi. Head rabbi of the Babylonian synagogue. And they said this, and anytime you find the tradition, you're going to find it in a negative sense nearly every time in the New Testament. When Jesus said in Matthew 15, he talked to the Pharisees, told them, you make the word of God of none effect. You have what he's saying. You've twisted the word of God. You make the word of God of none effect by your traditions, by your paradoses, by this traditionary law of Moses that you claim that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. And Jesus said, I didn't give him a verbal law. I gave him a law written on tables of stone. You see, you had the tables of stone law. Tables of stone. That was what God gave to Moses. And then you have tradition. And they said the tradition on the mount was stronger than the table of stones law. And they added everything. When they were carried away into captivity, after having gone after the sun and the tree god for 510 years under kings, under kings from from the first king Saul to the last king of southern Israel, Zedekiah, or Judah, Zedekiah. They were scattered all over the world. Northern Israel scattered by Syria in 722 B.C. And southern Judah was scattered into Babylon. When they got into Babylon, that was the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. When they got there, they said, we've got to have a way of worship because our temple was destroyed here in Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar when he came in and just raised it to the ground. Not R-E-I-S, but R-E-Z-E-D. That means to level it. They sacked the city. That's what you call a quarterback when he's taken down and leveled. Sacked. That's an old ancient word about wars when men would sack a city. They would level it and burn it. Now, when they came over here to Babylon, they said, we need our own law. So they came up with this traditionary law that they called Halakha. They also had a written law called Haggadah. The Haggadah was a commentary. And it had a bunch of garbage and trash in it. These two things eventually came together as the Mishnah and then later on as the Talmud. As the Talmud. Now what I'm doing, I'm trying to show you when they, when they were carried away, when they said we need something to go by over here, Babylon, they, they spoke the Aramaic in Babylon. So they had to translate from the Hebrew law 
They translated 613 laws out of the Torah, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They call that Torah, we call it Pentateuch. First five books of the Bible, P-E-N-T-E-T-E-U-C-H. Now I put this on the board several times. But I want to show you what they did in this halakha. That translation they called the Targum. What they said, they said, well, since we've translated over to Aramaic, and the people here in Babylon, Babylon is about 650, 700 miles away from Jerusalem. Let me see here. Babylon is over here in Iraq on the Euphrates River. This is all desert in here, so they, when Nebuchadnezzar came over, he couldn't go across the desert. They would have all died. He had to come up north of Israel and come in from the north and carry Jerusalem and Judah away into captivity which is probably in the neighborhood of 650 miles or so. So they're over here. They don't have a temple. They don't have any laws. So when they translate from the Hebrew over to the Aramaic, they, the smart rabbis, which means master, the rabbinical people started in the Babylonian synagogue, which is in Babylon, which is evil. It's not good, it's evil. It was a corruption of the Word of God, but not any different than the Baptists or the Pentecostals or the Catholics. They're changing it too. The thing is, we're in the apostasy. If we're close to the end of time, the apostasy has, be, has to be here. Paul said the day of the Lord will not come except there come an apostasy. He said falling away first that is the word apostasis it's our word apostasy here's the thing apostasis here's the thing about this apo means the removal of stasis from stasis we get the word staros which is the word cross staros there's been a removal of the daily cross in the life of the believer if we're close to the end of time, the apostasy has to be here now. Where is it? It's in these churches. It's coming from these preachers' mouths. And I think some of them know that they're not right. I don't think there's one or two. I think a lot of them know it. Billy Graham told Diane Sawyer, Well, I want God to say, Well done, good and faithful servant when I get to heaven, but I don't know that he'll say that. I heard him say that with my ears. He was corrupt. Now here's what I'm getting at. If the falling away has to be here at the end of time, we're in it. Proof is these preachers. They don't know what any words mean, culture, customs, idioms, metaphors, nothing. They preach very boring messages. Charles Stanley is one of the most boring preachers I have ever. I can't watch him very long. Charles Stanley 
needs to put his messages in all of the drugstores in America in the insomnia section. So you can take one of his tapes home, put it in your put it in your player, and he'll put you to sleep. That's what I think about him. He is I don't know why those people are sitting there going looking like they can't hardly hold their head up. Because what he says is just boring and most of it's not true. <laughs> now I've got a book. I've got a set of books. I'm going to go through some of the things in this. This is called the Commentary on the New Testament from the Talmud and Hebraica. This is one of the best set of books I have ever run across. This was written back in the 1600s by a man named John Lightfoot. It's a five-volume set. Mr. Lightfoot was born in 1602. He died in 1675. It seems like the old preachers know more than the guys today. He was an English churchman, rabbinical scholar, vice-chancellor of the University of Cambridge, master of St. Catherine's College, at Cambridge. He was born in Stoke of Trent, the son of Thomas Lightfoot, vicar of Otto Exeter, Staffordshire. He was educated at Morton Green near Congleton, Cheshire, and at Christ College, Cambridge, where he was regarded as the best orator among the undergraduates. After taking his degree, he became assistant master at Repton School in Derbyshire. After taking orders, he was appointed curate of Norton under Hales, or Norton in Hales, in Shropshire. There he attracted the notice of Sir Roland Cotton, an amateur Hebraist who made him his domestic chaplain at Bellaport. Shortly after the removal, of Sir Roland to London, Lightfoot, abandoning an intention to go abroad, accepted a charge at Stone, Staffordshire, where he, where he continued for about two years. From Stone, he removed to Hornsey near London for the sake of reading in the library of Sion College. And it goes on and on. A very educated man. He knew what he was talking about. I've got three pages just on him. Now, in this, he tells us what the Pharisees did, how they, how they took the Word of God and just twisted it. Let me erase this up here. And I've read you some of the things out of this. I'm going to read some more and show you what he's saying. He researched for years to put this together. And what he does, he tells you how the Pharisees twisted the Word of God. And what they did, they wanted to bring in proselytes. Proselytes. They take the Word of God. They brought proselytes. That's like bringing a Gentile from over here in Greece and bringing to Israel and causing him to become an Israelite or a proselyte 
a proselyte and they would call them proselytes of the gate they had different titles for them and that way they could partake in the rituals of the Jews but he tells us what they did and what they said and how they twisted the word of God when they translated from the Hebrew to the Aramaic in Babylon and they said they needed interpreters so they would take rabbis and every one of those every one of those head rabbis which was supposed to correspond to the high priest in Israel when you translate from one language to another they said we got to have somebody to explain this and what it means and every time Jesus confronted the Pharisees every time they every time they would he was confronting them about one of their some of their beliefs in the halakha all through the gospels even in some of the epistles and he works on all of this now where do I want to go first alright boy I've got so many places to go on this the let's look at I'm going to turn to page 107 this is the first this is the second volume and this has got Matthew and some other it's comments mostly on Matthew and some comments on Mark now let me just give this to you I'm going to go to page <clears throat> let me see page 107 in this this is in the Matthew volume 107 and this will kind of show you how they twisted and perverted these words 107 and he tells us when he says let me turn in my Bible this is a little difficult to explain but I want you to understand how they were twisting the word of God in Matthew Jesus is talking to the blessed ones on the mountain blessed are the meek blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness those are the beatitudes they start off with be blessed then you get down here to Jesus said I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets I came to fulfill it then he says in verse 18 for verily I say unto you till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law until all is fulfilled whosoever there shall break one of these least commandments he's talking about jots and tittles now let me see if I can find this for you here jots and tittles he's talking about a jot was the yod the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet a yod a tittle was the smallest marking on it was a little tit if you take that tittle away it turns it into an R 
If you leave the tittle there, it's a bee. They're just alike. He says, one, you cannot change the law. Now, four times he says in this chapter, you have heard that it hath been said. Said is the word areo, E-R-E-O. And when he says it hath been said by them, that's a pronoun referring back to the scribes and the Pharisees. And it's talking about the verbal law. I'll get it in a minute. It's talking about their verbal law. That they said on the mountain with with God when Moses met with God when they would say it hath been said Areo is a reference to the verbal law and then Jesus would turn right around and say but I say what he was saying I did not say that what they're saying they twisted it and it hath been said is four times in this chapter it says it hath been said four times and Jesus refutes them and says they are lying you can't just read the Bible without studying what it's about now it hath been said hold on here now here in in page 107 of the second volume that it was said by them of old time, you've heard it hath been said, that that is, you have received it by tradition, by word of mouth. They learned by hearing, that is, when it was a tradition, it was passed down by word of mouth, and people would hear that, and they had no foundation of Scripture to trace it back to. That it, That is, by tradition, a saying very frequent in Maimonides, which was one of the head rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue. That it was said by them of old time, that is, it is an old tradition of the Babylonian synagogue. For the particular passages of the law, which are here cited by our Savior, are not produced as the bare words of Moses, as clothed in the glosses of the scribes, which most plainly appears above the rest, and succinctly in his first allegation were these words, Whosoever shall kill shall be guilty of judgment. If it, if it be asked why Christ makes mention of these of old time, it may be answered that in the memory of the ancient fathers of the traditions were venerable among the people. Christ chose to confute their doctrines and glosses. A glossy is a foreign language that he might make clearly prove the vanity of the traditions when he reproved their most famous men. 
But I say unto you, he says in verse 22, speaking of the Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees in verse 20, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you won't enter into heaven. What he was talking about was their traditions where they had changed the word of God. Now, but I say unto you, but I say the words of one that refutes or determines a question very frequently to be met with in the Hebrew writers. And he will teach us his ways in Isaiah 2 and 3. Then he says, let me give you something uh, very interesting on this. The Jewish schools do thus distinguish between brother and neighbor. This is something that that a brother signifies an Israelite by nation or blood. A neighbor, an Israelite, in religion and worship, that is a proselyte. So here's what they said. They said a brother, just to show you, they said a brother was a fellow Israelite. What would that be? That would be one of the tribes or the sons of Jacob whose name was changed to Israel. It would start with Reuben, Simeon, uh, going down to uh, Levi, Judah, Dan, Dan Asher, Naphtali, Gad, uh, going down to Issachar, all the sons of Jacob. That's what they called a brother. So when Jesus tells, tells the people who his brother is, Jesus said in Mark, the third chapter, when his literal mother and brothers and sisters outside this house this was a slam against the Pharisees and their halakha, their verbal law, their traditions. They said a neighbor, a neighbor was a proselyte. A proselyte was one who was circumcised, washed in water, and offered two turtle doves at the temple. That was a proselyte who became a member of the kingdom of God. And they were proselytes of the gate. Kingdom. Who did Jesus say his brothers and sisters were? When he says, when he's approached there and marked the third chapter, and somebody comes up to him and say, your brothers and your sisters are outside waiting to talk to you. And he says, who is my brother and my mother and my sisters? Is it not those who do the will of the Father? That was a slap in the face of these, of these Pharisees who said their brother was a fellow Israelite out of one of the tribes. Jesus said, that don't mean nothing. Well, who was the neighbor? Let me tell you who they said the neighbor was. 
they said a neighbor was a proselyte who had come into Israel to become an Israelite. Well, let me give you something here. In Luke 10, a lawyer comes up to Jesus. A lawyer was a scribe. Lawyer. A lawyer doesn't mean some big guy down here in the Batman building or in one of those buildings downtown Nashville. That wasn't a lawyer. A lawyer was a scribe. That was the top line of the Pharisees. That was above all the other Pharisees. That was a doctor of the law. When the Bible says, warn you lawyers, it's not talking about some legal guy that draws up papers in 2020. He's talking about a scribe, a top-line Pharisee. Scribes were guys that sat around all day long and wrote down the law. They wrote it because they didn't have copy machines. Now, I'm going to look over here in, in Luke 10. A lawyer comes up to Jesus. A lawyer was a scribe. They had the scriptures memorized, and he knew everything that he believed about what he was saying. What he was trying to do was to trick Jesus. Luke 10. Luke 10, verse 25. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted Jesus, saying, he was tempting him, trying to get him to say something to trick him so he would stumble. And this scribe lawyer said, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He knew what he believed. He knew he had to keep all of that halakha. And he said unto him, you tell me what's written in the law because you transcribe it all day long every day. You tell me. And the lawyer answered him. You have to know there's a lot of sarcasm going on in the Bible. You don't just read, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what is it do to inherit eternal life? And he said, what is written in the law? You don't read it like that. You read it with expression the way it's meant. And the lawyer answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. Well, he's got his foot in his mouth now. And he said unto him, You answered right. This do and you live if you love God. But he probably didn't even know what love was. Then he said, willing to justify himself. The lawyer is talking back to Jesus. He said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? He knew exactly who he believed the neighbor was. He is being sarcastic, trying to trick Jesus. He knew he believed the neighbor was a proselyte who had been circumcised, washed in water, and offered two turtle doves. He knew that. The guy is sitting here 
looking at the living God of the universe lying straight to his face. And Jesus answering said, you want to know who the neighbor was? Let me tell you. A certain man, this is Jesus telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Before I finish this, let me tell you what the Pharisees thought about Samaritans. They hated them with a passion. Samaria was northern Israel. Samaria was at one time a town in northern Israel and it came to the point where they began to identify all, all of northern Israel with Samaria. Let me move this. Let me tell you why the Samaritans hated, why the Pharisees hated the Samaritans. You'll better understand this. Remember, he's talking about who the neighbor is and the, and the lying scribe, Pharisee, doctor, lawyer, he knew exactly who he believed the neighbor was. He said, who is my neighbor? Trying to trick Jesus. If this is Israel, that's Israel. And this is northern Israel is called Samaria. The Pharisees detested, hated northern Israel even when Nathaniel was told by Peter or by Andrew, we found the Messiah, Andrew said. And, and Nathaniel or Bartholomew, whichever you want to call him, when he said, well, where does he come from? And Andrew said he comes from Nazareth. And that was considered the filthiest part of the earth. He was right in the middle of Samaria, right at the top of Samaria. The reason the Pharisees hated him so bad, hated the Samaritans, was because when Assyria came over and carried them away captive, Carried Israel away, carried northern Israel away captive into between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. They carried him up here into the Caucasus Mountains in this area, between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. When they carried him away, the Assyrians moved in and intermarried with people in northern Israel. They intermarried with them had babies by them and brought in their fire and tree worship and intermingled it with Jehovah worship. So the Pharisees said, we won't step foot into northern Israel. We hate those people up there. They were taught to hate their neighbor, especially if he wasn't especially if he wasn't a true neighbor. He was just a, a Gentile. Hate Gentiles. That's what they believed in. Hate Gentiles. Well, the reason they wouldn't step foot in northern Israel and Samaria because they said it had a mixed religion. But the, 
the ironic thing about it is the Pharisees had a mixed religion because they had their halakha mixed with the word of God. So they weren't any better off than Samaria. And they said, now, they said, we hate them. That's why when they, when they found out that Jesus was born up here in the land of Zebulun, that's where Nazareth is, they, they didn't know he was born in Bethlehem, Judah. And when his father and mother fled, to, uh, fled the wrath of Herod and went to Egypt, but they came back later and they went to Samaria, went to Nazareth. Well, the Pharisees, which were in southern Israel, they said, we won't go up there. And they assumed that Jesus was born there in the land of Zebulun. But he wasn't. He was born in Bethlehem. And he's not going to prove that to him. So what he does, he has John the Baptist wash him in water, which was a proselyte baptism, which the Pharisees said if a man would do that and he would be circumcised and offer two turtle doves, then he got to be a citizen of Israel and they would have to accept him. Now, so we're at the Pharisees. Now, where was I going? I was going somewhere. All right. Now, let me read this to you. In Luke 10, this is about Jesus confronting this doctor of the law, this lawyer. And he said, who is my neighbor? So Jesus began to tell him, this man knows who, knows exactly who he believes the neighbor is. He believes it's a proselyte that's coming to Israel. And here's what Jesus tells him the neighbor is. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest, a man who worked in the temple. He was of the tribe of Levi. And he passed by the other side because he was afraid he was going to get tainted by this filthy, low-life man. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the same place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. They were afraid of becoming Levitically unclean. But a certain Samaritan, now you got to remember, he's talking to a scribe, a Pharisee, that hated Samaritans with a passion they hated him. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was and saw him and had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, this Samaritan that's showing love and compassion 
to this man. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host of the overnight place he took him to, the inn, and said unto him, Take care of him. And boy, this this lawyer, he can't stand this story about this good Pharisee. I mean, this good, excuse me, this good Samaritan. And whatsoever thou spendest more than when I come again, I will repay thee, which now of these three, which of these three is what he says, which of these three was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And boy, that scribe, that lawyer did not want to answer this. He said, was it the priest, which was a Jew just like you? Which was a which was a Levite just like you? Or was it this lowly Samaritan? Which of the three? He didn't say he didn't say the man that fell among thieves was the neighbor. He excluded him. He said, Which one was neighbor to the man that fell among thieves? And boy that that doctor of the law, it was going against everything he believed. And he said, I suppose the Samaritan. <laughs> Didn't even want to get those words out of his mouth. That's because of the halakha. When Jesus was dealing with these people, he dealt with them on that. He dealt with nearly everything he said was against these people and what they were saying. Now, let me give you some other things from this book. Well, let me just read this about the Jewish schools do thus distinguish between brother and neighbor that the Jewish schools, when you read that, Jewish schools, don't just read that and not know what it means. There were two schools of the Pharisees. You had the school of Shammai. And the school of Halil. H-A-L-L-E-L. Halil was the very liberal. Was the liberal school. The one that these were Pharisee schools. They started back over there in the Old Testament. You remember over there, uh, there would be schools of the schools of the Levites where they would go and learn the law, and it evolved into this very liberal. Well, the liberal was Halil, and the conservative, the one that Jesus confused. Jesus was accused of following was the school of Shammai, conservative. You can't even know what these parables are about if you don't understand something about the Pharisees and their beliefs. Let me read the rest of this. The Jewish schools do thus distinguish between brother and neighbor, that a brother signifies an Israelite by nation and blood, a neighbor, an Israelite, 
in religion and worship that is a proselyte. A son of the covenant writes thus, The sons of the covenant, these are Israel. And when the scripture saith, If any one's ox go the ox of his neighbor, it excludes all the heathen in that it saith of his neighbor. In other words, they're saying, If ox goes out and gores someone of his neighbor, they're saying, it has to be a neighbor. And Jesus is saying a neighbor is anyone who's a godly, good man, or it's just somebody lives next door to you. And they said, no, it has to be a neighbor. It has to be a proselyte. That's why they said they could kill, they could kill Gentiles without any consequence. They said they could hate Gentiles. That's why... Let me go back over here to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Now listen to this. It hath been said, the fourth time that was said is over here in Matthew 5 and verse, verse 43. You have heard that it hath been said... What's that referring to? It's referring to the halakha, the verbal law. This is very important because the Pharisees said they could hate Gentiles and if they weren't a proselyte, they could kill them without, without any consequences. That's what they said. That's why it says here, you've heard it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. To the Pharisee, that meant love the proselyte. But you can kill a Gentile that's not a believer. And Jesus said, if you hate your brother without cause... You're liable to the judgment. You cannot kill. Thou shalt not kill. And they said they could kill a Jew. Let me go ahead and read this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. That's what it said. That's what they said in the Halakha. That wasn't somebody out here just saying, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's It hath been said in the Halakha by the Pharisees. But I say, that's when he says, I didn't say any such thing. But I say, when he says, but I say, that's the same thing. But I say equals the Pharisees are liars because they've added to the word of God that's what Jesus is saying when he says but I say it's not talking about it hath been said in the Old Testament people actually read that and think that it's not talking about that it's talking it hath been said by the Pharisees of old times when they were the when they were the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue and then he says then Jesus tells you what he says 
This is the first message that Jesus preached, the Sermon on the Mount, and he is hitting the Pharisees full force. Why aren't they doing anything about it? Because he's in Galilee. He's up here in Galilee preaching to these humble ones on the mountain and the Pharisees wouldn't step foot in there. So they're down here. Jesus has got his long arm of correction reaching there and slapping the Pharisees in the mouth. And this is what, when Jesus says, but I say, here's what I said. They've changed the word of God. They've been found to be liars. Just like the preachers today. But I say, love your enemies. Now, what is love? What's the word love there? Agapao. The verb form of agape. Agape is walking in commandments. This is love that we walk after his commandments. This is agape, a relationship with kings to their subjects. So, if you love your enemies, what do you do to them? You walk in the commandments of God. Walk in commandments while you confront your enemies. And all of the commandments of God are not just the Ten Commandments. The commandments are every imperative mood. Not only do you tell them the truth about the Word of God and live in the truth, you do whatever that truth says. You separate from them if they're walking disorderly. You have no fellowship with them. Those are imperative commands. No fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. Any imperative mood in the Greek, you humble under the hand of God. You preach the word. Preach, meaning to herald Christ. You preach to people. People say, you go around preaching to everybody. Well, I certainly do. Had a preacher tell me that one time. You go out and preach to everybody. Nobody in Hendersville liked you, Jim Brown. Well, that's good because they didn't like Jesus either. They didn't like Paul preaching to him. They chased him. He had to be dropped down over a wall in a basket at one point. They took him outside of a city, city and stoned him and left him for dead. They didn't like Paul either. So if we love our enemies, one of the imperative moods... In the Bible, my favorite imperative mood is be angry. And what you're angry about in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, be angry. You're angry at the winds of doctrine, winds of doctrine that lead God's people astray. And it makes them past feeling and as well as several other things. Past fitting, which is a palgeo, it means apathetic, and they don't care. That's what the winds of doctrine do. And the Bible says, concerning this, orgizomai. Be angry. It's an imperative command. Anytime somebody is leading people astray with winds of doctrine, 
we're commanded an imperative command just as much as let there be light. Be angry and sin not. If you sin, you get involved in the old gay. That's feminine gender. It's feminine because Babylon was the mother of harlots and Babylon was founded on self or let us make us a name. And that's the orgay. The orgay is the is the anger of covetousness. It's the anger of revenge. It's when a man wants to get revenge. So we're to be angry with our gizomai, but we're not to orgay. Now, now let me read the rest of this. So when you love your neighbor, you live in truth towards him. When the Bible says, well, it's over in Ephesians, same book, fourth chapter. When the Bible says, speaking the truth in love, speaking truth in love, speaking the truth. Now, I've had people quote this. The truth in love. Jim, you're just not loving. You're just not nicey nice. Speaking the truth, walking in the commandments of God. Speaking the truth in agape. You can't speak the truth and not be walking in the commandments yourself. Because if you do, you bring reproach upon the name of Christ. Not only that, if you're not walking in his commandments, you make the word of God of none effect. And over there in 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, let me give you this. Knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. Charity builds up the house of God. Charity is agape. Knowledge is having the truth, but unwilling to live in it. Knowledge puffs up, fuziao. P-H-U-S-I-O-O. Puffs up. I've had people say, Jim Brown is puffed up because he's got all that knowledge. Now, knowledge without walking in God's commandments, which is agape, it, it just makes you conceited. You have to be walking in the commandments not to be conceited. Now, let me give you the rest of this verse. It hath been said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. They said they could kill their enemies if they wanted to. They could kill a Gentile and not suffer anything for it in their halakha. Jesus said, you can't do that. Am I out of time? Oh, me. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Who gets to define the word bless? I thank God. Bless, eulageo. Say well words to your enemies. Well words. What would be the well words? The word of God. Word of God to your enemies. See, people fail to define these words. Bless your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good unto them. Do good unto them that hate you. What does do good mean? Who gets to define the word good? Does that mean take them ice cream and cake? No. The word good is kalos. 
means to be honest. Don't be dishonest to them. Don't try to take revenge on them just because they did you wrong. Be honest with them. And then he says, then he says, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Pray, does that mean? Dear God, we pray you'll give them a new car. And No, you bow to the will of God for them. Prosuke. Comes from pros and UK. Same basic word as prayer. It means to will towards God's will for them. Lord, if they belong to you, crush them under your hand and cause them to hear your word and start being obedient to you. I've got so much more to say on this and I'm running out of time. I can't get to all of this. It's so much. He keeps he brings up all these verses about anyone is called a brother. And if thy brother sin against thee, it's talking about believe, believers. My brothers and sisters are those who do the will of the Father. I've got so much more on this, I don't have time to go through it. Am I out of time, Mike? Okay. I'll come back to this next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Cause to continue your work. God help us. Sometimes I don't know just what to do, where to go. I'm trying as hard as I can to say your word. God will praise you for everything. We do praise you right now for everything good and bad because all the bad's for our good. Lead us to your elect family. Strengthen us. Strengthen the sheep as we go through this pandemic because it it's, has a tendency to weaken the elect. Fight our battles in Christ's name. Amen. Everything Jesus said was against the Pharisees. Everything. Everything.